water in his veins. I couldn't think of a better place to end the street than Death Valley, South Carolina, baby. Guys going down, guys stepping up. That's what football is all about. And they say we can't do it. What they say now? Yes, he's back, back, back again. Shady's back. Welcome back to the Clemson Podcast. College football season is upon us. Clemson is 1-0 and life is good. Welcome back, everyone. I'm your host, Nick, joined tonight by Ben, and we are the Clemson Podcast. Great to be back with you all, recapping week one in action. Clemson went up to Winston-Salem and got the win at Wake Forest. Uh, Plenty to break down from this one, but uh, Ben, you know, it's been a few days since we last caught up. Obviously, a lot went on this last weekend, a lot happening, kind of swirling around the news around college football as a whole. Um, I, I just wanted to check in with you, see kind of where you're at with the season restarting at this point. Well, it is, um, it's refreshing. It's a great distraction from everything else that's been going on. And, you know, it was weird. I talked to a few people and I think we all kind of felt this even leading up to the game on Saturday. It wasn't until I, I set off from my place to head down to the, the boardroom to watch the game with the Clemson club that I really started getting started feeling excitement it was still tempered even Saturday morning. Um, you know, it was cool to see uh, Deshaun get out there and play against the Chiefs on Thursday. That's when I really started feeling the itch for football again or feeling like it was imminent and actually going to happen. I didn't pay much attention to the um, the group of five games that, that happened the previous weekend. Um, but, yeah, seeing NFL football start up on Thursday and then, you know, waking up Saturday morning – um, you know, you already got some upsets in the big 12. We can talk about that. Um, oh, yeah. a disaster later. Um, but then watching Notre Dame and Duke play, watching Chase Bryce get out there. Um, you know, it, it felt real. And then of course, going down to, to watch the Clemson game, um, you know, they're back baby. And it's, it was great to see. It was a lot of fun. Um, and again, like I said, it's just a fantastic distraction and something that I think we all need. Um, right now, you know, you want to see not a lot has gone right this year, but, um, we got week one in the books. Yeah. Um, I think for me kind of a similar, uh, it was just like anticipation for, let's just see what this thing looks like and not knowing kind of what, what the stadium experience would be like with kind of an empty wake stadium. I mean, har har filling the jokes here. They don't normally pack that thing, but you know, completely different from just having like not a soul in the, in the seats and in the stands. Um, but yeah, I mean, very good, you know, very good feeling obviously to see Clemson come out on that first series. Um, obviously didn't get a whole lot going in the offense. We'll get into that here on the first series, but, um, just to, again, just kind of put the off season behind us, you know, felt good on a number of different levels. Um, and I, I had watched a little bit of the group of five and FCS action in a couple of weeks prior and, you know, still kind of a weird feeling. Didn't quite get that same kind of, you know, juice flowing that we normally would with like the week zero matchups in prior years where you knew Clemson was just a few days away, you know, tons of hype leading up to the season, but, uh, we are here. It's back. Um, you know, still obviously a lot swirling around college football with, uh, decisions to play or to not to play. 
um, certainly COVID impacted quite a few uh, programs this weekend. We'll probably touch on that a little bit as we look across the ACC. So the pandemic and the virus is still very much a big part of what's going on with college football. But, you know, in spite of that, uh, Clemson did play football and it was awesome. Yeah, well, and we were immediately reminded of that Saturday morning. Um, maybe maybe it was afternoon if you're on the East Coast when we started getting all the information rolling in of which Clemson players had not traveled for the game. And that, of course, including um, starting cornerback uh, Darren Kendrick and then Mario Goodrich as well. So first you see two of our cornerbacks go down and you're like, oh, crap. Um, and then also Justin Foster uh, not making it, though. We had a hint of that leading up to this game. Um, that, that, that he was not going to be available. However, you know, across the defensive line, I think we felt really good about who we have there. Cornerback was, a, it was different, but I think it's just, um, it's a harbinger of things to come, right, for the, for the rest of the season. We have to be expecting this uh, from game to game and also expect that some games might get, um, have to be postponed or canceled, you know, outright. Um, I think yeah. Clemson, Clemson students are getting back, what, on campus this week, I think. And then we've got, the Citadel game coming up on Saturday. There's some outbreaks. We'll see how that affects things. But, um, yeah, it's going to be a week-to-week thing, and we're just going to have to play it by ear as we go along. But um, one thing that we are fortunate, um, being Clemson fans and as a Clemson football team, is that we've got the depth to really survive um, a lot of those absences, whereas, you know, other teams – aren't going to be able to to do that so easily. So we, we saw that play out a little bit over the weekend, but yeah, it's going to be a weird season. It already is a weird season. Um, so just expect more of that as we go along um, and just, you know, fingers crossed, everybody stays healthy. Yeah, Ben, you know, we talked about it in our season preview episode last week where we were like, man, like which, which guys on the team, which position groups are indispensable, you know, not really going to be able to replace their contributions and, I think normally when we talk about that, we're thinking about like a season ending injury or an injury that's just going to hamper a guy. And then we're looking to a backup to come in and just play like four or five games and possibly need to play in the playoff. And that's not really what we're talking about this year. I think it's really like, you know, coaches throw around the phrase next man up, but it could be, you know, players otherwise extremely healthy, uh, just happen to be in the vicinity of someone else that came down with COVID due to contact tracing. They're not able to make the trip or they themselves come down with, with COVID test positive, they may not show symptoms. Um, so I think it, it really is a position where that depth to your point matters a lot. And fortunately Clemson not only has the numbers, but has the high quality talent to go along with that quantity to be able to, you know, survive a little bit of a setback with having two guys from a position group be out and three guys across the secondary, not play and not make the trip. Yeah, well, and I mentioned to you over the weekend, too, I surely hope that um, guys rooming together are not in the same position groups. You would think they'd, they'd spread that around so you don't, like, wipe, wipe out your enti- entire quarterback room um, from guys rooming together um, and being exposed to the virus. I mean, I'm sure they've got all that under control. But, um, yeah, <clears throat> it's a weird year, man. Um, yep. Our schedule sets up well here for the at least the first seven games of the season to we're not going to be tested you know, you know, too much. Um, I'm looking at Miami game is, is probably our, our toughest competition, Virginia as well. Um, before we get into the, the last four games, starting off with Notre Dame there at the end of the year, but um, yeah. yeah, we'll see what happens so far. So good. We got one game under our belt, one good win under our belt, and we'll just have to take it uh, week by week from here. 
Yeah, let's let's uh, let's get into that game, Ben. All right, so Clemson uh, was shut out in the fourth quarter, guys. But other than that, they put up 37 points um, up in Winston-Salem against Wake Forest. Uh, shut out the Demon Deacons in the first half. And with some second team, third team guys in, uh, ultimately surrendered 13 points. So 37-13 for the number one ranked Tigers. Really solid win, as is normally the case with Dabo Sweeney against coaches he likes. The final score typically doesn't indicate really how wide a margin Clemson beat up on Wake Forest. Um, so I think Dabo definitely, you know, is kind, you know, friendly, kindly. You want to say that with uh, Dave Clawson. Um, I think he took the, the foot off the gas a little bit with the starters and kind of with some of the play calling down the stretch. But um, overall, Ben, I think just, you know, knowing as well as we do kind of the Clemson fan attitude early on this season, what we see from sometimes the offense getting off to a slow start, uh, not really seeing the team look super sharp. I actually felt like this was probably one of the best starts we've seen from a Clemson football team in quite a while, uh, just in terms of, and again, like you can, you can consider like how good is wake's defense. Um, wake is really like a middle of the pack ACC team at this stage. They're not the cellar dwellers that we've we're kind of been used to over the last decade. So I, I personally feel like this was a really strong showing by the overall team, but definitely the offense. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Wake is no pushover on defense, that's for sure. You know, they have a really solid defensive line. Um, There's a lot of eye candy, a lot of movement up front um, to try to distract the quarterback. Um, And, you know, going out there with, what, four out of five new starters across the offensive line, is it? Um, And then not a lot of backup depth. Um, A few guys uh, not being able to to make the – uh, to travel again because of COVID we mentioned. So uh, yeah, overall, I thought they played really well. I think it was a sight for sore eyes for Clemson fans to see um, certainly the, the, the middle of the field open back up in the passing game and the tight ends getting involved. And it was a very efficient offense. Uh, I thought for the most part, um, f- you know, fairly successful on, on the early downs. It, so really avoided the, um, the long third and longs. Um, and overall they, they moved the ball and they grinded it out. And yeah, outside of that first drive, once they got it going, you know, it was, um, it was, it was fun to watch. Um, a lot of things to clean up, I think for sure. Um, but overall I thought the offense had a great game plan. I thought Tony, Tony Elliott has really kind of remade himself, um, after the last couple of years. And, um, now with some, some new weapons across the middle, uh, with the reemergence of a healthy Amari Rogers and obviously Braden Galloway uh, among the other tight ends. Um, and I thought he called a great game and yeah, really excited to see what this offense is going to do this year. Um, you know, Travis Etienne, I mean, for the most part, they actually kind of bottled him up a little bit, no huge um, breakaway runs for Etienne. They wrapped up really well on him, um, but still over a hundred yards, you know, Trevor, um, Trevor stole a couple of his touchdowns there. So um, well, that'll be a little yeah. interesting uh, uh, Heisman race going back and forth. Uh, the, and we'll see how that plays out. But um, overall, great Vultured, game. vultured yeah. by your quarterback, right? The first one, I was like, okay, because ETN had a couple shots to get in. But the second one, I'm like, come on, man. Like ETN had yeah. great, like, was it a run or a run and catch or a catch and run um, to get up there right near the goal line? And then Trevor just waltzes in. So, mm-hmm. yep. Okay. We see Trevor. We see Trevor. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see who wants it more. Exactly. That's right. Well, we'll see who's baking cupcakes for Tony Elliott coming up with those, 
those red zone goal line calls. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I agree pretty much with every point you made there, Ben. I feel like uh, what, what a lot of fans have been clamoring for is getting the tight end involved. And this is probably the best overall top to bottom tight end performance we've seen from a Clemson offense in years. And then run the ball to Travis, free Travis, run ETN. They did that and you see the results. So um, really good stuff. I feel like you also saw uh, exceptional play, particularly from the tackles. So in bottling up Boogie Basham, who's, def- I, I feel like at this point, probably a first round pick, um, if not the, a top 15 pick. And he did get that first, that sack on Trevor Lawrence on the third play of the game. But that had very little to do with the O-line, had very much a lot to do with Trevor escaping the pocket and yeah. Basham tracking him down um, with his athleticism. So, um, But across the board, I mean, I feel like Jackson Carmen had a great game, largely you know, held his own with Basham, and even Jordan McFadden did as well. Yeah, there was very little pressure um, on Trevor. I thought the offensive line as a whole did really well all game. Um, I thought in the run blocking and the pass protection, um, and Walker Parks came in and and played 26 snaps backup. He was the first um, offensive lineman off the bench, the true freshman, and he played really well. So, you know, that's good to see as we continue to to, to need to have to build depth throughout the season. Um, and specifically, again, going back to the COVID thing, this is another one of those position groups that you already don't have depth. That you know that could be an equalizing factor if you have a few of the starters go down at some point in the season. Uh, not having guys to replace those, it doesn't matter how good the rest of your team is. Like the teams in the ACC or most of them, maybe outside of Syracuse, um, you know, are going to give you trouble if you don't have your 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 first team group of guys in there who've gelled, who've been in the system for a few years. So yeah, something to look out for. But again, um, you know, I, I thought these younger offensive line will put them played played well. The sophomore. So it was good to see. Um, overall, I thought the offense had a really good pace. Again, they were efficient. It was just good to see them uh, moving the ball consistently like they did in this game. Yeah, hats off to the O-line. I feel like if there's really any area that you could look for constructive criticism or area for development, um, which is going to be good, knowing that we sort of have the Citadel game, a bye week, and a, a Virginia team uh, coming in later on, uh, was really that middle of the, of the line. And really we're talking about uh, Cade Stewart at center. He's filling out that position still. I want to say, I mean, let's give the kid a break, you know, see him break in a little bit, but that's going to be an area that we did see the line collapsing a little bit. Um, and, you know, again, like Wake Forest is solid there, but that could be an area that we want to, we want to keep a special eye on. Yeah. I thought he actually played well for the most part. And some of the times when guys were coming up the middle, he was actually pulling, um, around to the outside. So this, the hole that those guys are coming through was not on him. Um, I didn't notice really any issues with the snaps, I don't think, in this game. Maybe there was one bad one, but th- that was um, um, a point of focus last year that, that he struggled with. So good to see. I, overall, I thought there was some really good development. And, you know, we kept Trevor Lawrence upright. Again, that, that what, was there one sack? We, of course, had, no, they had two sacks in the game. So um, I'm not, I don't recall the second one. I don't know if that was on Trevor or DJ or, um, Tyson, but that first right. one obviously was on Trevor. I wouldn't, um, he should, yeah, he, he should have thrown that ball away, but good for him to get his mistakes out early in the game and Hey, no interceptions. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I guess, you know, I don't want to just be pointing out kind of the, the low points of the offense. I think great performance across the board. I think it's going to be key for, 
some of the some of the wideouts um, to continue to develop and continue to feel their way in this offense. Um, Frank Latson had a couple of drops. I want to say, you know, not exactly super crisp on some of the throws and some of the um, body positioning with Amari Rogers. I think he slipped on that first series, and um, there was later, you know, Trevor wanted to lead him, um, but Rogers basically came down with it and went to the ground where I think he had a ton of daylight. That was kind of setting up the first touchdown drive. His his dropped. Um, you're not talking about the drop touchdown pass, are you? I'm not talking about that one. Although okay, prior to that, yeah. I mean, I do want to talk about that play though. Actually, um, I don't know about you. I had definite Mike Williams flashbacks to Week One, 2015. Yeah, but thankfully it was just a matter of wounded pride on that one, having dropped a sure touchdown pass, and Trevor scampered in the end zone a couple plays later. So no big deal. Amari Rogers looked amazing uh, without that knee brace and really up to full strength and full speed. Expect a lot out of him. I think we had him marked as one of our breakout offensive players for Clemson this year. Um, he's definitely doing himself a lot of favors for draft stock rising. You know, he he's really lived up to a lot of the promise um, when he and T Higgins came into the team earlier on. And it's great to just see him, you know, really get his his due. Yeah, it's just amazing how when he came back last year, he wasn't 100% healthy. And um, what game was that when he broke that that run? Was it Syracuse? Sir, yeah, it was Syracuse. Yeah, and, and in the his, dome. his straight line speed was phenomenal, but you really saw it in, in this game. He's got that ability to cut again and, um, you know, the quick change of direction. So he's going to be the leading receiver on this team this year, and I think that goes without question as long as he stays healthy. Um, he tied for the lead in this game with Braden Galloway, um, led the team with 90 yards receiving. So he's going to be a monster. He had a little bit of rust to shake off. I tripped a couple times and obviously that drop touchdown pass in the end zone that he should have brought down. Um, but overall, I love what I saw out of Mari Rogers. I'm not as bullish on the rest of the wide receiving core right now. I mean, I, I'm, I'm taking the tight ends out of this. Um, Joe Nagata looked good. He had some, he had some good catches. Frank Ladson, you mentioned, uh, is still struggling with some drops and, I do wonder if, you know, both of these guys aren't the, the Mike Williams, T Higgins, um, uh, uh, Justin Ross level of wide receivers yet. Um, so I think maybe slightly overhyped well, c- coming into last season and, and possibly even this season, we'll see if I mean, we definitely need one of them to break out because I think we need that deep outside threat, which we did not really see in this game. I think the only deep ball that I saw get thrown was um, Pumachan, there maybe on the I last uh yeah on the last drive of the game and it was a beautiful ball yeah no i agree with you i think there are limited plays you know 20 plus yards downfield or limited attempts um of that distance who knows you know coaching staff may just be bottling that up until they need it um one other point i wanted to make though um ben what about the departure of jeff scott though i mean i you know i, I think we all kind of respected his role in some of the play calling and the recruiting certainly. Uh, but as it comes to wide receiver development, I mean, uh, Grisham is still very much kind of a green assistant coach. And, um, you, you know, these, these guys are really in their second full year on the team. Um, not too crazy to think that Jeff Scott departing would have an effect on some of that wide receiver development early on. Yeah. I think it's still too early to, to tell on that, you know, Grisham, you know, is an NFL former NFL wide receiver and a pretty damn good wide receiver at Clemson. Um, so I, I think the, I think the book is still out on them. Let's see uh, the development of God and Frank Latson jr. Over the course of the season, let's see what um, EJ Williams and Aju Aju can do. 
Um, so I, I think time's going to tell with Grisham. I think it's obviously way too early uh, to make to make any sort of um, uh, decision on his ability yet. But um, yeah, I mean, there's a ton of guys. There's a ton of talented guys, um, you know, at the position group. And, you know, the guys we haven't mentioned yet, Brandon Spector, we expect a lot of big things out of him this year. It's really weird seeing him in number 13. Although I did not realize that both Adam Humphreys and Grisham both wore 13 in addition oh, yeah. to Hunter Renfro, all three NFL guys. So Brandon Spector, um, it's got some, uh, it's got some big shoes to fill. Yeah, definitely. Um, you can tell he's got a different build and a different approach than Hunter Renfro, but I'm with you. It looks good. seeing number 13 scampering toward the end zone. NFL pedigree with that number. Um, yeah. So, yeah, but I mean, ben, I know you, you touched a little bit on the tight end play. I think going back to the wideouts, you know, the more Galloway and apparently JT chalk and Davis Allen, the more those guys can get involved in the offense. I think it does take a little bit of the pressure off the deep ball to, you know, the, the boundary receiver um, for instance, and it, just keeping, keeping uh, defenses on its sideline to sideline, I think is going to really pay dividends in this offense. Yeah, absolutely. And you saw the results of it in this game. And again, just being and operating as a much more efficient offense. Um, yeah, just being able to open that up over the middle, just between Davis Allen and Brayden Galloway. You mentioned JC Chalk. Like, it's like he comes out of nowhere to get a touchdown. I, I forget that that kid's even on the team. Um, really yeah. great to see for him. This just goes to show what opening up the middle of the field and having that threat over the middle is going to do for this offense. Yeah, I want to get your thoughts, Ben, just on the kind of game Trevor had and really what um, use that as a, an opportunity to talk about the backups. Um, any real big takeaways from Trevor's night? I mean, I feel like, you know, the numbers kind of stand out. Really efficient night for Trevor. I thought he um, had a good, a good command of the offense, good command of his throws. Um, didn't really, I, I didn't rewatch the whole game in thorough detail, but no more than one or two balls that you would say he'd like to get back. Um, so yeah, I thought he just came out really sharp at the start of this season. Yeah. You didn't see him forcing anything in this game. And one thing that the comment, uh, the announcers on TV pointed out, apparently he's what dropping his right foot back instead of his left foot this year when he's back in the shotgun. Um, and that enables him to just get that ball of his hand quicker. And you you notice that, like it was very obvious in this game, those screen passes that just came out quicker. They were, uh, much more crisp and they result in a lot less negative plays than we saw last year. Um, so, and we talked about this leading up to the season in our season preview, like we're nitpicking on Trevor at this point. There's not a lot of things for him to obvious things for him to improve on. And I think what you did is you saw him come out in this game. He had complete command and control of the offense. And once they got going, there was no stopping them. Um, 22 of 28 for 351 yards. Not a lot to um, complain about. Yeah, absolutely. Um, he, he strings together 10 more of those games. That's a pretty solid Heisman, Heisman resume. Absolutely. So speaking of Heisman, um, going back to the running backs, you know, obviously Travis Etienne, uh, Lynn J. Dixon out for this game. Well, I guess he was suited up, but he ultimately did not play. He was, I think, suffered a leg injury in the last week of practice leading up. Um, yeah, it was so, a knee so nursing a sore knee. Yeah, yeah. So he would have come in, I guess if he had to really no reason. Chesma Lucy 
and Mikey Dukes out for the game, uh, presumably COVID related protocols. Um, so all these like bevy of running backs we've been talking about coming into, into the season and how hard it was going to be for Elliot to get them all touches. Well, you take three guys out of the mix. <laughs> it makes it a lot easier. Um, so we got to see a lot of Darian Richard was, which was good. I, you know, I think he's totally um, earned it. I thought he ran well, you know, almost five yards of carry. Um, and then you saw the, the freshman DeMarcus Bowman and Kobe Pace get in there. It's funny. Dabo, um, said that Bowman was very much like ETN in his first year that he just got out there and he was ready to run and was out running his blockers and stuff like that. But, um, great, great to see those guys on the field. That's the future of the running pack position at Clemson and, um, 185 yards on the ground. Um, you know, we've certainly put up more, uh, you know, against teams the, the, the past several years, um, it didn't seem like we were dominating in the run game, although everybody was getting about four yards a pop. It seemed I thought Wake Forest did fairly well, all things considered. Um, again, I mentioned I thought they tackled well. They got to ETN fast and they wrapped him up and they didn't let him go. Um, but all yeah. in all, still 185 yards on the ground as a team. Um, I think you could tell they they really wanted to eliminate the run. Yeah. Like based on what, what had happened two years ago when it was just a field day like a track meet basically for the running backs. Um, and I think similar happened a year ago in the second half, uh, against wake. It was a much closer game at halftime a year ago, but, uh, they, they picked their poison and their poison was to cover the point spread, not letting ETN and the rest of the offense run for 150, 200 yards. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I think that was the, the outcome that wake chose and, uh, Clemson was, you know, just fine moving the ball through the air. Yeah, one really um, one specific play that I remember with ETN. It was after the Rogers drop on third and ten, and I think it was the one we were just talking about. Um, ETN getting it up to the goal line, and then Trevor running it in for his um, his second rushing touchdown. Um, but uh, there was a delayed hit handoff to to ETN, uh, delayed draw, and they were kind of rolled out to the left, really spreading out the defense and just opening up a ton of room in the middle of the field for ETN to get loose. Delayed draw, gave it to him. He took off, and there was tons of space for him. I thought that was a really great play call. Again, with Travis ETN, you need to get him in space, and that was one way of doing it. And you're going to see that a lot this year. We need to ride our workhorse um, this season. And and Travis ETN, he came back uh, for his final season. He deserves it. Feed him, man, um, because between the two had a monster between Trevor and, and Travis Etienne, this offense would be hard to stop. Yeah, I don't know about you, Ben. Etienne just looks so calm, so relaxed, like so dialed in. Like it looked like the game actually had slowed down for him. I know that's kind of a cliche, but uh, him being back for, the, for his fourth season here, he really just looked like, you know, he he knew what was going to happen on every, at every play of the game at every point. And um it was just great to see. And I think his timing was excellent when he, when he hit his spots and, and it just worked out well. So yeah. Um, and and for more of that throughout the year. And I know a guy like DeMarcus Bowman, five-star recruit coming in, he's supposed to be the future of the position at Clemson, but there is such a noticeable difference between watching him or Kobe pace run versus Travis Etienne. Etienne's on a completely different level. Like we'll be lucky if Bowman, um, it gets to 90% of what Travis Etienne is. He's that special of a player. And, you know, again, we, we mentioned this before the season started, just kind of cherish every game. We actually actually get to see these guys play. 
um, because, you know, between him and Lawrence, there's something special. Absolutely. Well, uh, certainly expect, you know, probably many more games in the upper 30s into the 40s, possibly even into the 50s, uh, depending on sort of opponent and Dabo's uh, desire to uh, not show up the other team, but, you know, see, see more from his team, see more from his offense. Um, this was just a solid, solid day for Tony Elliott's offense. Didn't really tell any sort of, I mean, Tony Elliott's still in command of this offense. And um, I, we didn't talk too much about him then in our season preview about what does this look like with Jeff Scott's departure? Um, Tony Elliott, again, retaking the reins. I don't think anyone, any of us really have a true knowledge of how, of how the system worked previously with the two of them you know, and play calling and in game design and everything like that. So um, that's going to be just another thing to kind of keep a look at for him. You know, he's a, he's an aspiring head coach candidate. And I, I, for one, love the thought that he's going to want to in a limited season, fewer games, really not going to want to hold anything back in the regular season. And Clemson just, you know, coming out and firing on all cylinders and I'm all for it. Yeah. So Brandon Streeter this year replaces the role that Jeff Scott was, um, um, had the past several seasons and, and kind of commanding things and making calls down at the field level. Um, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. But I think the biggest storyline is Tony Elliott's adjustment from the last couple of years to this year and how we've come kind of sputtering. We, we've tended to come sputtering out of the gates a little bit on offense at the beginning of the year and really uh, not getting into the flow of things or being an efficient offense. Um, and I think you saw a huge difference in this game and you saw the the fruits of that labor in kind of, really um, having some introspection, I guess, from Tony Elliott's part um, after the the game against LSU and kind of the offense got a little bit stale and vanilla at times last year. So um, great to see. This is going to be a fun offense. It's, it's filled with talent. We know that we're going to score. I guess the only question is, back to your point, Tully, we're going to have to play a lot of guys. And we, we already do that anyways. We're used to that on both sides of the ball. But sooner rather than later this season, if, if you know, uh, more than any, really, we need to have as many guys possible as uh, with enough game experience and being being cross trained. So they're available and ready to go in should a few guys, uh, a few critical guys go down due to COVID injury or whatever else. Yeah, I know we really mentioned Trevor Lawrence, but uh, DJ got into a game. We also saw Tyson Pumachan run a couple two, three, four series. And, you know, neither of them let the, let the world on fire with their arm. Um, I thought Pumachan had a tremendous deep ball. Unfortunately, Aju Aju didn't come down with it. That being said, I mean, they weren't really calling plays to maximize the arm talent and, right. you know, the capability of either of those two guys. Like, again, by that point, Dabo was content to just win the, win the game with the, the lead and the margin that we had. So I'm not taking too much away from either of those guys. Like, um, it is interesting or notable that DJ got the first reps among the two of them um, in the offense, but I don't know that one should really look into that to pencil DJ in as the number two starter. It's probably just going to be a healthy dose of both of those two. And uh, to your point, I think we need that because we don't know if Trevor is going to be uh, uh, sidelined at any point by uh COVID stuff or anything else. See, I actually think about that. I think having him run out there first was um, actually a statement uh, of him being solidly the number two starter. Um, 
you know, if it was Tyson Pumachan, you can make the argument, well, seniority, if they're neck and neck, he has a little bit more experience uh, from the three or four games, whatever he got into last year. Um, but no, they ran DJ up first. So I think that's making a statement as he's kind of moved his way up into that um, second string. And I mean, we'll find out this week against the Citadel, right? Um, yeah. I imagine that second string guy is going to be out there midway through the second quarter. It's going to be like UNC Charlotte last year is my feeling where Trevor played the, pretty much the first quarter, a series or two in the second, and then you hand the, hand the keys over. Right. That being said, um, you don't want to overlook kind of a smaller conference team as the big 12 did this weekend. <laughs> well, this is like a SoCon team we're talking about. I was only playing four <laughs> games this year. So <laughs> yeah, I know. Just had to get, I, get a little speak, jab in at the big calls expense. Speaking of Jeff Scott, didn't USF play the Citadel? They did. And they had a, um, wasn't there like this black weird- punt? There was a black punt touchdown that basically that it, I don't even know if it was blocked. Like the I don't punter, think it, yeah, I don't think he it dropped was the snap. Yeah. Yeah. He dropped the snap and then like it went weird off his foot. He's scrambling. I mean, um, you feel for that kid, you know, to, not not like kick the ball out of the back of the end zone or get sacked or like he, know, kick, he, he kicked the ball from the back of the end zone didn't even cross the, the plate exactly. of the goal line fell into the arms of a, of a defender it was um, technically a receiver at that point and once he catches yeah. it in the end zone it's a touchdown yeah that's one of the weirdest things that i've ever seen there was a lot of really crappy special teams play across the country we'll get into it later but um hey we could have yeah. started this show off with special teams for clemson We absolutely could have, but we're not going to go to them next. Let's go to the defense. All right. So the much vaunted, much anticipated debut of Brian Brzee and Miles Murphy and Ben, they did not disappoint. Uh, Both of these dudes lived up to the hype, very much lived up to their billing as top 10 recruits in the country, Uh, both amassing sacks. Um, Miles Murphy in particular I think he had seven tackles, two sacks, four tackles for loss. Three and for loss. Three for loss. Uh, one of those sacks you could probably credit uh, to Mike Jones Jr., who was very much up in Sam Harbin's business. Couldn't ultimately take him down, but threw him into the waiting jaws of Miles Murphy. So uh, anyway, great debut from our true freshman starter, like kind of starters, I guess, since Justin Foster was out. Although I guess KJ Henry... Uh, did start in this game, but yeah, in any event, and Henry played well. Played great. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. You immediately noticed them, both Murphy and uh, Brisset, um, as advertised. Um, it's funny. Yeah. Uh, Venables had a really good uh, um, comment about Brisset. Like he's um, he's like a Labrador puppy. Um, you run him out there for the first time, he gets really excited and wets himself, um, and then he gets uh, <laughs> then he gets locked in and dominates. But um, Great game for both of those guys. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned Murphy's stat line. Jeez, for a true freshman, and despite having injuries uh, to or the setbacks with Xavier uh, Thomas and Justin Foster, we mentioned being out. Um, who else? Um, Edinus Rubin did not travel with the team. So even taking away those guys, not to mention Logan Rudolph is not on the team anymore. Like, he would have been a co-starter probably this year at defensive end. So it just goes to show you what the effect of recruiting guys like that has, especially on the defensive line, when they can come in and plug and play right away. 
Um, it was so refreshing to see this defensive line and how we were bottling up people at the line of scrimmage. We were getting pressure on Sam Hartman. I think Wake Forest, what, they averaged 1.1 yards a rush uh, for the day. It was great, great job by the defensive line. It's so exciting and so fun to see such a dominant Clemson defensive line, and especially when you're seeing those uh, two true freshmen, especially since it looks like we're going to be without Tyler Davis for about three weeks or so. Yeah, definitely want to touch on that injury. You mentioned KJ Henry earlier. Also great to see him showing out in his hometown, uh, the return to Winston-Salem for him. And again, like I think KJ Henry, he came in with Xavier Thomas, was kind of a little bit more like the unsung um, five-star recruit coming in. But to see him, you know, have a great, a great uh, game in this one is really encouraging for the season, especially if, uh, Justin Foster will continue to miss more games here. Uh, we don't know what's going on with his ability to play this coming week. Um, if it was contact tracing related or COVID related or something else. So, uh, you know, again, developing that depth, he's been in the, this is his third year in the system and looks like he's taking every advantage of the, that playing time. Yeah. Well, I think I mean, he's listed as, as one of the death chart for the Citadel game. I'm, I'm hoping he'll be back for that one, but um I mean, just look at all the other defensive ends we run out. Justin Maskell obviously got a lot of planning time in, in Justin Foster's absence. Greg Williams, you saw it there a bit. Reagan Upshaw, where the hell did he come from? He was out there like in the first series, I think. He played a lot in this game. Um, yeah. So really cool to see a guy like that get an opportunity out there on the field. And yeah, this defensive line just, just wreaked havoc uh, for the most part. I, it was really great to see. Uh, really excited about what we're going to get out of those guys moving forward and a completely different look to this defense than last year. And that just goes to show you what just the immense talent on the defensive line can um, do for you. It makes the other guys better. It makes the defensive ends better. It makes the linebackers better. Um, it makes the secondary look better. They didn't play particularly great in this game. And I think it probably covered up for a lot of their weaknesses. Um, so that is going to be a problem moving forward. Of course, we're missing your starting cornerback and Darian Kendrick, Mario Goodrich, uh, not, not able to, to make the trip. Um, but overall, A-plus from the defensive line. Yeah, you nailed it. And also, I mean, I, I feel like, Ben, we didn't miss a beat with James Skalski being out in the first half with what uh, Venables was able to do in a starting role. And then Mike Jones Jr. was also all over the field, uh, very much a bruiser, very much living up to um, his hype and the anticipation coming into the season. So I thought the linebackers played a solid game as well. And um, hats off to Jake Venables for really holding down that mic position in the first half. Yeah, great for Jake. And then Tyler Venables was in there at Sam right behind Mike Jones. I think it was the first guy in there. Um, so a lot of little interesting wrinkles on the, on the defense. That's for sure. Um, again, I will, I was a little bit concerned with the secondary play specifically Andrew Booth, um, did not have a great game. I think he got better as the game went along and had some, some good pass defenses there. Um, Sheridan Jones was a guy that got a lot of playing time at quarter. So you're seeing a lot of these uh, guys who don't have a ton of experience, uh, playing, you know, college football, um, getting out there on the field. Same thing with the, with the safeties. Um, I saw a lot of the same thing that kind of concerned me a year ago, uh, which was um, uh, defending the pass. You saw a lot of guys' backs turned, um, yeah. you know, to the quarterback and kind of face guarding. Uh, Landon Zanners, that what was it, the first, second drive for Wake Forest of the game, that was totally a pass interference call on him. Um, oh, yeah. I, I don't know how they missed that. But, again, back back to the ball. So I want to see these guys um, just get better and get turned around and, and – 
finding the ball, or if you are going to kind of face guard, like don't run into them. Don't, don't be grabsy with your hands. Just, um, just a little bit of improvement on technique there, I think. But, um, again, a lot of young guys missing Darian Kendrick and Goodrich two experienced guys. Obviously you're going to take a step back. Um, I think all in all though, we're going to need to see some improvement as the, as the season goes along. Yeah. I think interesting. We didn't see Malcolm green feature too much at the Sam position. I'm not yeah. sure. Yeah. Joseph numbers. Charleston would actually was in ahead of him there at, at, when we were in uh, the nickel packages. So, um, yeah. a lot of, a lot of hype from him in, in the preseason, but didn't see a ton of him in this game. He had one penalty was a late hit on him, um, which you kind of expect of a true freshman. Um, yeah, but otherwise, again, the talent's there across the board. These guys just have to get game ready and the cream's going to have to rise to the top. We need to, probably three, four, hopefully you would hope four guys at the cornerback position that you can depend on. Yeah. I guess we can talk about booth for a moment. I would say it just became a little bit apparent that he wasn't, he he wasn't in the mindset or wouldn't, wasn't necessarily thinking I'm going to be the guy this week. I'm going to be the starter. Obviously if you had, um, Goodrich and DK not make the trip up, you know, he at least had that flight, which was like the day before, well, Andrew Booth was actually listed in there. Um, I mean, he was expected to start opposite Darian Kendrick. Now, Darian is listed as co-starter with Lee Anthony Williams, as well as uh, Goodrich is with Booth. But I think Booth was, he was prepared to start. And the hope was that he was going to rise to the occasion. Now, again, guy did not play much last year, dealt with injury, has all the talent in the world. So I think he just has to get his legs under and get some game experience. And we should see improvement as the year goes along. Yeah, I mean... I think you said it in the previous show, like week one is the week to have your developmental game and to have your off game and to have your game that you need to learn from because that gives the coaching staff, you know, a number of additional weeks to develop. So um, we're, yeah, we're bullish on booth. We're bullish on the secondary improving once they get some of the depth back and Sam Harbin is solid, but I, he was taking some licks in this game up front. Yeah, so well, he wasn't really able to exploit Levanta Bentley mm-hmm. sent him into concussion protocol or something. I actually thought their backups played really well in this game too. Kern and Griffiths, um, you know, Hartman, I think beat out Newman a couple years ago before he got hurt. So they got three solid quarterbacks on this wake team. Um, I know we tend to write them off um, just for being wake forest, but they might be a pretty decent team this year. Yeah. I mean, their uh, receiver, I forget. His Sage, first name Sage, Sage Surratt. But yes, no, I meant uh, green actually number seven. Oh God. Well, Surratt opted out. So that was a big loss for them. But yeah, Donovan green, Donovan green. I mean, imagine if they had Sage Surratt in that offense, you had kind of two, two very potent wide receivers against our, against our cornerbacks. (laughs) I know it would have been a completely different game. I wonder if Sage Surratt halfway through that was upset. He made that call, but you know, anyway, I don't want to, you know, besmirch his decision. It's all good. But um, yeah, I mean, Good for Dave Clawson, man. I mean, he's continuing to attract his type of talent that fits his system. And, you know, they're, like I said, they're middle of the road ACC. Probably that's the ceiling you can expect at Wake, you know, considering their resources and um, the ACC dynamic at this point. But um, I'm happy with this win than the way it played out. Oh, absolutely. Well, after everything that went on in the offseason, all the uncertainty and all the distractions, Um, And then, you know, guys missing practice time due to COVID and other injuries, not having all of spring ball to get guys ready. And um, I was listening to uh, one of the, it was an ESPN podcast, I think, uh, recapping uh, the first week of the season. And they're like, yeah, Clemson looked like the only team. Um, 
uh, out there. Um, who was ready. Who was ready. It yeah. looks like they've yeah. been already, already been playing for four weeks. So, of mm-hmm. course, as fans, you know, you hear the griping on, on Clemson's side of how everything wasn't perfect. But, of course, it's not going to be perfect. It's the first game of the year, and we still win easily up 27 nothing at halftime. Um, so, yeah, a really, really good win. I mean, phenomenal and awesome to see the guys back on the field again. Um, just that being um, everything else aside, it was great to see. But I thought the play was um, – I thought they played really well. Again, some things to clean up in the secondary there, but overall, I think it's a really good football team. Yeah, we mentioned the the Venables brothers earlier. Uh, Coach Brent Venables was pretty effusive of his praise of his, his boys, and then he was even happier to point out that they had a lot of stuff to work on, and they would talk about it right. on, the, on the drive on the drive home. So uh, that was that was definitely great to hear. Um, and congrats to them, and congrats to the Venables family. That's a lot of fun. And please don't leave us. Please stick around. Yeah. Well, then, you know, awesome game from the defense. I think that portends a very exciting side of the football for this team and for fans this season. Why don't we go to your favorite, the special teams? Ben, I mean, what a night from the kicking game. Yeah, I know we talked in the in the early on, you know, really, we're just looking for this to be a steady, consistent part of the Clemson football team this season, but to have Will Spires, you know, averaging North of 45 yards a punt, have BT Potter nailing 50 plus yarders with room to spare, um, touchbacks galore, really no complaints at all in the special teams game. Yeah. Wow. What a game, um, from both Potter and, and Spires. Uh, I will say this for Will Spires, you know, first couple of years in this program, we were all kind of down on him, um, wasn't a particularly great punter, but made improvements last year. Things were really looking up for him and obviously off to a really great start this year, as you mentioned, averaging almost 43 yards a punt. Um, Aiden Swanson get in, got in there and had a 44-yard punt too. So special teams all around, I thought, uh, did a really great job. And then BT Potter, that's a guy who has – he's really grown up. And I think that's what you saw out there on Saturday was just a different maturity level that we've seen before in this kid. He's always had the leg. You know, the question is, is does he have his head in the game? And obviously Dabo has gotten on him about that before. But three for three field goals, long of 52, four for an extra points – Nothing to complain about there. Yeah, and he actually took the record from Mark Buckholtz uh, for consecutive makes. And I want to say, is it consecutive PAT makes? Something like 98? Did he really? I thought he missed some last year. I, I would question that stat. No, it was uh, – it's not that he's made every one in his career. It's just the streak right now is uh, – streak. Yes. Okay. I guess he's been doing good on PAT. He scored a lot of touchdowns then. That is a good point. point. That's a good point. (laughs) Yes. Um, But anyway, you know, hats off to both of those guys coming in, you know, in mid season form to start the year against wake was definitely helpful uh, as drive stalled, you know, to kind of flip the field or um, put, you know, put a ton of points on the scoreboard, uh, which is great. And, And this stuff doesn't matter a ton, especially during the ACC season. Um, but once you get to playing better competition, um, that's really when it can make or break you. And so you get into games like Notre Dame where, you know, the weather could be bad and, and, and flipping the field could be huge, right, with, with Will Spires or 
you know, even last year, BT Potter stepping up and making the big kick in the national championship game. Like the more that you can depend on, on, on these guys, the better off you feel when it comes to crunch time and you're playing better competition. So you just want to see that consistency throughout the year and they're off to a good start. Yeah, for sure. Uh, any notables in the returning game? I didn't really see anything that stuck, stuck out to me. Nope. I don't think we returned any punts, nor should we. Um, and Cornell Powell had like one 15 yard return, return, but that's about it. You're not going to see us return a bunch of kicks as usual. So Ben, you know, pretty much a complete victory for Clemson in this one, plenty for the coaching staff to clean up and for the players to continue to develop from. Um, but as good a one to no start as I think we'll see, um, really the only other top 10 action going on across college football was Oklahoma and Notre Dame. I think we can touch on them, but just wanted to get any parting final thoughts on Clemson um, heading into really the week two. Um, any, any last thoughts on the week game? Um, yeah. I mean, my big takeaways coming out of it is, you know, keep up uh, the play calling at offense. Really love what I saw getting the ball, um, you know, to, to the tight ends and to Amari Rogers over the middle of the field. I want to see in Goddard, Latson, EJ Williams, any of those guys really step up there on the outside um, and then on the defensive side of the ball, yeah, I think we just still need to, to shore up our secondary, specifically the cornerbacks. It'll be good to see Darian Kendrick back in there. Um, it won't make much of a difference against the Citadel, but certainly will moving forward. Well, a lot happened on Saturday in college football. I think we touched on a few highlights there. And then why don't we wrap up with what's going on in the broader landscape of college football? So I'll start with the very last game of the weekend, which was... Uh, Kansas against Coastal Carolina, the Chanticleers <laughs> of the Sun Belt. So Coastal went into Lawrence a year ago, Ben, your grad school alma mater, um, and took one from Les Miles in his first year a year ago. And then this year was, was Les Miles there last year? I'm pretty sure. He yeah, was. he was. Last year was okay. his first year. Yeah. And then, um, you know, we were expecting, you know, Kansas, the uh, somewhat improved, Les has some of his guys coming in off two years of recruiting. And they've got, they got to, you know, revenge that loss last year was not the case. They had the worst first half and they put up a little bit of a weird after dark kind of comeback attempt. ended up just being too little too late. And coastal Carolina has some tough dudes in particular, their quarterback. I mean, that guy would not let his team uh, fall subjects to a comeback from Kansas and they kept the gas on and good for their coaching staff. They stay aggressive. That was really fun and really impressive and kind of, the perfect cap to kind of a weird first football weekend uh, was a weird game. I don't know if you watched that one at all. Uh, I did not, um, especially after Iowa State went down uh, to Louisiana earlier in the day, and then Kansas State down to uh, went down to Arkansas State, and then Texas Tech only beat Houston Baptist by two. Essentially, at that point, I've ridden off the Big Twelve for the year, and I'm really hoping for the Big Ten to come back so we can at least see some entertaining football. I read an awesome tweet that said they should just lock Texas and Oklahoma in a bubble in Dallas. And they play seven, a seven game series through the year. And the winner goes to the playoff. West Virginia had a good day against Eastern Kentucky, 56 to 10. It's Eastern Kentucky, but you know, at least they did what they were supposed to these other teams. I mean, maybe the big 12 should have opted out after seeing that. Maybe. Yeah. Not expecting a ton from that conference. Um, bet the over. I think that's the takeaway. All right. So Oklahoma did also play, but they played what Missouri State or a yeah. lesser school. They're up thirty-one nothing in the 
at the end of the first quarter. So right. Spencer Radler looked good. And so I think that's the thing that everybody was tuning in to see. So we'll see how that continues to progress throughout the season, but there's nobody in the big 12 that, 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 that scares me. Yeah, for sure. It's going to be a matter of how does Rattler look against the likes of TCU, the likes of Texas, you know, teams that uh, claim to play defense. Let's see how he stacks up against them so we can have a little bit of a glimpse for what it's going to look like when they make the playoff. I'm saying when, because I'm not really expecting anyone else to challenge them. We will see. Uh, But yeah, that was kind of it. You know, the SEC doesn't suit up for not this coming weekend, but one more week. And you mentioned, you know, Big Ten has not yet made any plans. Um, any other kind of action across? I mean, I, I didn't um, manage to watch too much of the other ACC games, Ben, in full disclosure. So I did not watch Notre Dame against Duke. Um, I think everyone was down on Ian Book, rightfully so. Um, but, you know, again, it's kind of like that first first game, weird offseason. You know, we don't know how sharp practices were for these guys across the board. And Duke's a well-coached team. So um, I wouldn't necessarily write Notre Dame all the way off yet, just based on, you know, a week one performance for me and book, but they are kind of retooling overall on offense. So um, it's something to keep your eye on. Well, they've got a couple running backs and Kyron Williams and Chris Tyree who are, who are really good and going to be really good for them. Um, So that part, I I think they're replacing running backs. I think they, they probably have that part figured out now. Um, from the receiver group, that's a question. Um, obviously they lost Claypool, uh, to the draft last year and just have a lot of, and they're tight end. They lost yeah, too. Yeah. A lot of guys that need to step up and fill out those positions. So we'll see. I think the biggest, the most concerning thing with Notre Dame over the weekend was, uh, their, their offensive line play wasn't particularly great against that Duke defensive front. Um, so, you know, in the trenches, right. And in the trenches is where they're supposed to be strong, uh, across both the offensive and defensive line this year. Um, so I think on defense, uh, I'd I'd be less concerned if I'm a Notre Dame fan. Um, I thought they did well in bottling up Duke and Chase Bryce as much as I hate, hated to see Chase Bryce lose. I think that's the first time Chase Bryce has lost, um, having gone into a game, uh, in his college career. Can you recall? No, I mean, he went 15 and 0 two years ago and then we were 14 and one last year. So yeah, I don't know. I don't know if he played in the natty. He didn't okay. come in the natty. Yeah. Okay. So, so, but Chase Bryce, he's got three years of eligibility remaining at Duke. So um, <laughs> I, I hope he stays for all three and we get to watch him. Like I, I love that kid and everything he did for Clemson and really, really pulling for him. So um, bottom line, if Clemson were to play Notre Dame next weekend, I'd pick Clemson by three touchdowns after what I saw, but expect Notre Dame to continue to get better as the year goes on. I think they're solidly um, top three in the ACC. Uh, a team that I think no, no, not many people will have expected um, to be up there at the top at the end of the season. Although I mentioned it in our season previews, a team to watch out for is uh, Pitt. Mm. Yeah, Pitt, look, Pitt looked really strong. And another team I wanted to kind of call out, I think a lot of people caught that because it was on Thursday night, uh, was Miami against UAB. Uh, people were kind of criticizing Miami early on, like, oh man, you know, more of the same. And um, UAB has a tremendous defense. They returned everybody from kind of a top, top 30, top 40 SP plus defense from a year ago. Um, and Miami was able to pull away late in that game. And Derek King continues to amass pretty impressive stats. Rhett Lashley, their offensive coordinator originally recruited him to Houston before he went to SMU after Chad Morris left. Um, so 
then that you mentioned, you continue to mention that Miami matchup that Clemson's going to have in October. Um, that one, that is really going to be, I think the first test for this football team. Yeah, I think so too. I think Derek King is, is a really good quarterback. Um, so, and you can't, I mean, again, we're trying to find these spots on the schedule where Clemson could pro, um, possibly hit a roadblock. And I think leading up to the Notre Dame game, I mentioned, I think it's probably either Miami or Virginia. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I still don't think Miami's quite there yet. Um, another team I was a little bit disappointed by was North Carolina. I think they're going to struggle with their offensive line play this year. Um, Sam Howell, you know, almost threw for 300 yards, but had a couple of interceptions on the day and did not look spectacular against a really bad, really bad Syracuse team. Um, they did beat them 31 to six, but I think you're going to see a lot of teams trounce Syracuse worse than that this year. Um, they're going right. to be the bottom dwellers of the ACC. Um, Louisville, they're a team to, to look out for, for sure. We've talked about what Scott Satterfield is doing there to turn that program all around. Um, and then finally, how about Georgia Tech? <laughs> <laughs> coming back and winning that game against Florida state. I mean, I don't, if you're a Florida state fan, man, I don't know. Well, it's, yeah. A few thoughts there. Like number one, like, you know, congrats, I guess, to Georgia tech. Um, Jeff Collins, he has a true freshman starter coming in and, and they came back and won that game. I feel like that was a lot more about FSU blowing things and they're not going to be able to survive with James Blackman as their quarterback. I think they're just, waiting for development in that quarterback room to be able to transition. Um, James Blackman's not going to be able to survive as their quarterback. Period. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agreed. Um, I mean like physically survive. Yeah. Right. Like survive the season, (laughs) like, like, like live circa January. So I just, I guess what, I mean, I was talking about maybe FSU gets some type of coaching shot in the arm from Mike Norvell. I think what's abundantly clear right now is that this is not a one year turnaround. And even yeah. if you infuse some talent in recruiting, you know, I think everyone was expecting to see some offensive line play bounce back from them and doesn't look like they're going to get that out of them. No, and, and they, they've still been recruiting. Well, that's the crazy thing. They've just, you know, coaching hires the, the fallout from Jimbo Fisher leaving. Um, I think yeah, Jimbo so. left the cupboard pretty bare and then Willie did not improve matters too much. So uh, Mike Norvell has got a lot of, a lot, of, a lot of his work cut out for him still. Um, you hate to see it. Probably a three-year opportunity, though. If he's not turning around, as as impatient people are these days in college football, you yeah, know, I mean, Willie got less than two. Well, he kind of, yeah. Well, he didn't seem. He had burned some bridges. He didn't seem to be yeah. a good football coach either. Yeah. Who's yeah, he with so now? We'll see. Florida, I think he's Florida International. Is he Florida International? No, he took over Florida Atlantic. He took over for Lane Kiffin. Some yeah. Team, some team in Florida. I think Butch Davis is or was at FIU. Anyway, sure. it's just a revolving carousel in the state of Florida. It's where people go to retire. That's right. Uh, all right. So week one, I guess you could call it week one because it's kind of week three of college football. Uh, pretty fun, pretty exciting. Week two coming up, Ben. Any games you're circling, looking forward to watching outside of Clemson Citadel, which I'm Absolutely. assuming is going to be a noon game, right? Absolutely. No, it's not a noon game. It's a 1.30 Pacific time. One Pacific time, so four oh. East Coast. Um, nice. That's a rare time, actually, for a home game. 
uh, well, everything's different this year. Uh, you know, oh. I don't think it matters. Um, and okay. we're on ACC network. So, um, National. but yeah, man, uh, South Florida at Notre Dame, Jeff Scott go, goes into, he gets to go play Notre Dame before we uh, do in <laughs> South Bend. Um, so I'll certainly be looking out for that. Um, yeah, it'd be cool. I don't, well, it's hard right now during this season because so few legitimately ranked teams and then so few teams that play each other. You got Miami at Louisville, 17 versus 18 matchups. So we're going to get some answers right there between those two teams. Um, yeah. I don't think Virginia and Virginia Tech are ever going to get to play this season. Um, keep getting canceled because of COVID. Early October. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll see how that turns out. Um, yeah. Other than that, Boston College at Duke again. I just want to watch Chase Bryce play, but that's about it. Yeah, it's tough. I guess we could probably look to the Big Twelve. They're going to play conference ball starting this week, so oh, great. Presumably, can it, can it, you think it's going to be better than non-conference out of conference ball? <laughs> I mean, could not be much worse for them. So uh, they'll at least go five hundred on the weekend. Um, uh, it yeah, actually, it, it actually looks we, like they only have two games this weekend. Okay. Oh, and they're both out of conference. So I guess maybe they start their full conference slate. I don't know. What is, I hate 2020. You know that? <laughs> it's, yeah. It's, you know, just get your act together, 2020. What the hell is going on? Yeah. It's weird. Very bizarre. Um, so following week, we do get the SEC back. That'll be nice. I haven't looked at the week one slate for an ACC ball to see if they have lined up any interesting matchups. I'm pretty sure though, Ben rivalry games are going to be played earlier in the season this year. Like the iron bowl is in like the middle of October, I think. Yeah. No marquee matchups. The first week of the SEC, the only ranked matchup is uh, Kentucky at Auburn, um, Tennessee, who's ranked 15th. That tells you that what's wrong with the polls <laughs> right now <laughs> goes, goes, yeah. goes, goes and plays in Columbia. Um, but that's about it. But yeah, have you seen the top 25? So weird. It's weird. State had the most precipitous drop of any team of all time. Number two to out of the 25. <laughs> um, so hats off to the Buckeyes. Oh, darn. The SEC yeah. still has seven teams in the top 10. <laughs> they haven't even played a game yet. Yeah. I was thinking they would remove six. teams Only six. that ha- haven't played yet. But then what would this even look like? Well, but come on, let's be honest. Yeah, yeah. You know, got to leave the SEC in. Yeah, they will be playing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so maybe Ben, we can wrap just with, I, I think you've been paying a little closer attention in the last 24 hours to the big 10 saga, you know, over the weekend, they had the chancellors of the schools, the presidents, really the voters who, if they, if they were to make a change and decide to play football earlier than the spring, this would be the group of presumably old white dudes making the call. Um, they all met, they all heard from a bunch of school physicians and, you know, pretty much people lobbying to get them to vote, to reconsider their time timeline. Um, you're hearing a lot of chatter coming out, like, you know, the big 10 is going to be in lockstep, you know, all 14 member institutions are going to be, uh, we need all 14 to play. If we're going to play, like you hear a little bit of that, but then you hear things like Michigan and Michigan state are going to opt out. Maryland might opt out of playing. So I think the only thing that we know is that you probably can't trust anyone's take at this point. All this is going to become revealed probably over the next couple of days. And it's just such a mess. Like it's crazy to me how much they've botched this whole thing. Make a decision already, you know, 
like one way or the other, just make a decision. Um, yeah, I mean, it's I, been I almost know, a month. I don't know right? it's taken them so long. They've seen two weeks of college football already. They've seen a week at the NFL. Um, yeah, just, just make a decision. I think what they're what now, because they're slating October 17th as, as the possible start date, should they decide to move forward. But they've also been allowing uh, football operations and practice and stuff like that at the schools, unlike the Pac-12, which we're not going to talk about because nobody cares about Pac-12. Um, and they're not coming back this year. I think they're, well, actually the PAC 12 is, is looking to start in November for some reason. It's like, who cares at that point? Um, but no, I want the big 10 back. I want a better slate of games to watch. I want better competition out there on the field. When we go into the playoffs, I don't want any excuses from Ohio state. Like, Oh, we didn't get to play. Um, so it doesn't count. Well, uh, it does, but I'd rather have them in there. I, I want, I want to see the best and I'd want to play the best. Um, so I'm, I really do hope that they're able to play this year and pull it off. Again, the Pac-12, I don't really care um, because I don't think they have an effect on the college football playoff outcome. Um, but it would be great to see the Big Ten um, uh, get in there and play. If for nothing else, we don't have to watch as much crappy football uh, on either side of the Clemson game on the weekends. Yeah, I just I remain skeptical that they're going to be able to pull this off, even if they slate October 17th. Like, how are they going to run through a 10 game schedule and play a conference championship and be ready for the playoff? Like at least very, at least basically zero margin for error. Right. You know, an entire team come down or, you know, an entire position group. And then what happens? Like, is that good for the team to have, you know, tight ends playing offensive line just so they can put a team on the field just because they started their season on October 17th. If they start on the 17th and they hit every weekend with no buys, can't have any cancellations, they get through December 12th having played nine games. I give them nine regular season games. I think uh, you qualify uh, for the playoffs. That would put their conference championship game the following week on December 19th, which I do think maybe the SEC's is that week. I know the ACC pushed back to the 12th, but I think some other conferences pushed back to the 19th. So technically it's possible, but a lot can go wrong. Um, so not giving, not giving yourself yeah. the margin for error. And like the ACC has two bye weeks built in. They've already been using that. Um, so we'll see what happens. Yeah. But I, I think they've really bungled this whole thing. Uh, from I mean, the, they're going to go from a, they're, they're just going to go from a conference that claimed to not play due to caring about player health. to then you might have a situation where Ohio state is just like obsessed with playing all nine games so they can, qualify for the playoff and you know there, it puts things directly in a conflict of interest with their players best interests yeah and then you're going to get to the point where like teams like ohio state and penn state have a lot to play for but you know northwestern doesn't so you get like yeah. seven games into the season four guys on the team get covid and they shut the whole thing down right because they don't really have anything to play for so and, and that that could not just be the big 10 that could be all the conferences right um you know, once, once teams are kind of taken out of it, we'll see how that goes. Again, everything is unpredictable this year. We have no idea how it's going to turn out. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I, it's possible for the big 10 if they start on the 17th of October. Uh, but man, it's tough. Uh, it's unlikely that they'll be able to pull it off, but we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I, I think, you know, I'm erring on the side of it's not going to happen for them. And, you know, all they really had to do was probably delay their start of it and kind of feel things out back channel a little bit with the other conferences um, and said they called their shot a month ago and they have since not gotten their act together. 
you know, if they called their shot, felt out the, the scene over two weeks and then made another move, that would have left them still an additional amount of flexibility. But um, yeah, again, botched the whole way through. Yeah. But at the end of the day, I still think it's a legitimate playoff. You look at the top 10 teams, um, you know, oh. Cle- Clemson, Alabama, Oklahoma, Georgia, Florida, LSU, Notre Dame, Auburn, Texas, Texas A&M. All right. That's, a, that's, that's enough competition for me to say the winner is the champion. It'll be a shame if Ohio State doesn't get to get in there. Ohio State and Clemson played a phenomenal game last year. I would love to see them again. I want to see Justin Fields have the opportunity. Um, but, yeah, we'll see if it happens. Um, so speaking of the rankings, before we go here, um, yeah. Florida State's still got two votes in the AP poll. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Ben, we can we can figure out who voted for them. Like that's published every week. We should do that. Well, we should call I mean, out. Let's make that a segment. Like the craziest vote from the AP poll. Well, they have nobody else to rank. I mean, who are you going to put in there? Yeah, South Carolina hasn't slipped into the rankings yet. I see. Or they don't have any votes yet. Such a bummer that we don't play them. Oh, they are in the coaches poll. They are. They've got some votes in the coaches poll. Yeah. It's weird. There's what? 76 teams across FBS. So it's like a third, a third of the country gets ranked. I think David Hale was saying since only something like 65% of teams are playing, we should have a top 16. Cause that's like 65% of the top 25. I think I'm down with that. Let's just rank 15 teams. It works for me. We're not going to, we're not going to fall out of the top five. <laughs> no, exactly. Um, all right. Well, uh, good recap here for week one. You know, we're into college football season to your point, Ben, it's very unpredictable. All this could change in a heartbeat. So we got that first win. We can claim a natty now if we need to. Uh, so it's all good. We're still number one. We'll see how long we can hold on to it. Our, our strength of schedule, I think you changed my mind after last week. Our strength of schedule is not really one that um, is going to do any favors for us. So you could certainly see a team like Alabama run the table, although I tend to think they'll lose a game this year, um, or Ohio State if they, if they get into the mix. Um, yeah, I think so, you're right. Right. But playoff or bust. Yeah, playoff or bust. Rose Bowl would be nice. We're in that two or three spot, presumably. So we will take it. Um, well, that's our show for this week, everyone. Thank you for tuning in. You know where to find us online. If you have not yet done so, we would appreciate heading on over to iTunes to leave us a five-star review. Our reviews let people find us when they're looking for Clemson content, be it an alum, lifelong fan, someone new to the sport, new to the game, wanting to know what's up with Clemson, or occasionally we'll get the odd opponent listener. Uh, so really appreciate everybody spreading the word about the podcast. Please stay tuned. We're going to be recapping each game this season, hopefully getting some interviewees on and keeping this thing fun uh, while we still got football to talk about. Ben, anything else to add? No, man. Week by week, you get you get by the first one and you just hold your breath for six days um, to get to the next Saturday and hope you're still playing. So that's right. Hope, hope everybody yeah. stays healthy, not just the team, but everybody out there listening. Um, yeah, just got to get to the next game. Yeah, times are crazy. Enjoy these games. You know, hopefully it's a little bit of release for some people. Don't let it make you too stressed and anxious because, you know, certainly life does enough of that. But uh, hopefully it's fun for everyone. Stay healthy, please. And uh, hopefully the team continues to regroup and stay healthy as well. And we can continue to have a fully, fully staffed up Clemson football team because this team is really fun, Ben. 
All right, everyone. Thank you again. We will catch up with you soon. And as always, go Tigers. 